Welcome to Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts. The original podcast that painstakingly goes through all Scooby-Doo media in search of those to Scooby-Doo absolutely or Scooby-Don't under any circumstance. I'm your host, Billy. And I'm your host, Amelia. And we're watching Omelets Are Forever. Right. So you take exactly three Ice Ages to I, say the title. I didn't think I paused that much. I, I think I just gave it the gravitas that a title like that, that so very clearly parodies a James Bond title, deserve. Because Diamonds Are Forever, keep in mind, of all the James Bond songs, it's one of the more sensual. One of the one of the James Bond songs that like I let it it lowers your tension instead of pumps you up. I would say that's nearly all of them. Every James Bond theme I have ever heard has been the biggest fucking downer of a song ever. Ever. Live and let die? Live Probably it. the best that I can name. Yeah. Madonna's is the one that's got the most bounce to it, and it's awful. The D lyrics are fucking awful. I, I like Die Another Day, the song, but as, like, a really guilty pleasure. It's got good music. The lyrics are just really fucking stupid. Yeah. Sigmund Freud, analyze this. Analyze this. Analyze this. Oh, shut up, Madonna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not good, but it's kind of fun. Speaking of omelets are forever, here we are. It's, it's Scooby-Doo doing a spy parody, and I will say, not the most blatant and obnoxious spy parody that they've ever done. Which one would you choose as the worst? <sighs> now, I'm, I might butcher the title of this, but was it called The Maltese Salmon? Um, or something like that? There was alliteration to it, I think. Mackerel? The Maltese Mackerel. I would, I would bet you it's Maltese Mackerel, yeah. And I believe that happened... During the Richie Rich Hour, so no. it was... No? That was when they opened their detective agency. Oh, When Shaggy's okay. uncle was funding them. Was it still the truncated time? I feel like it was only a half episode. I believe so, yeah. Okay, so maybe that's what I'm remembering. But I, I remember a lot of trench coats and hats. <laughs> it was a different style of spy movie. It wasn't going so much for James Bond as it went for... You know, the Maltese, Humphrey Bogart, the Maltese Falcon. The Maltese Falcon is not a spy piece of media. I read the book. It's thieves, if it's anything. It's definitely thieves. But it's maybe not that's, spies. That's sort of similar to what spies do. You both try not to get caught. Well, either way, I have to say, at first glance, spy fiction. My favorite! <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Not as we at one point we were gonna sit down and watch the James Bond movies, and you watched Doctor No with me, and then you tapped out. I fell asleep during the part where James Bond is on a beach, and then you woke me up like forty <laughs> minutes later, and he was still on a fucking beach. I think it was a different beach, to be fair. But 
Yeah, maybe that wasn't the right place to start. The only thing with more fucking tropes than Be Cool Scooby-Doo than I can name is absolutely the James Bond franchise. Oh, and spy fiction in general. It's real tropey. And that's what this leans into in a big, big, big bad way. Uh, Literally. Not even in a fun way like Totally Spies did. Totally Spies was banging. I haven't watched that in forever, but I I remember it being pretty banging. I don't like that I use that as the adjective, because from what I remember, they were young girls. I do like that. They're like like 16-year-olds. Yeah, and I don't mean (laughs) it like that, but the look that you gave me back was kind of of like, Billy, you're going to get in trouble for saying that. I, I just meant, in the same way that we just watched an episode of The Mask, the animated series, and it was kind of unexpectedly banging, Tim Curry was in that. Tim Curry is the villain in The Mask, the animated series. Now, admittedly, we only watched the two-parter that would have been the pilot. Yeah. So did they only maybe get him for the pilot? That's highly possible. It's also nothing to do with what we're doing here today. No. At first glance, Amelia, we're outside of Crust Labs. Uh, It's a facility. We're, we're, get this, they make peanut butter and, ban- and jelly sandwiches. Not even peanut butter and banana, which is a more a- ambitious sandwich, I would say. Peanut butter and jelly. It is a sandwichery. What sandwich craft is this? Slightly higher quality than Subway, but not as good a quality <laughs> as Mr. Sub. That's am- where crust sits. I imagine if you went to a restaurant that specialized in peanut butter and jam, it would be pretty good. I can't stand peanut butter and jam. I get one bite into a peanut butter and jam sandwich and I'm nauseous beyond belief. I cannot eat for the rest of the day. See, I I grew up on them fairly regular. Like, several days of the week. My lunch was a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So, Mm -mm. this was back in the day when you could still do that. Apparently, the person that packed my lunch just loved me more than you were loved because I never got the lazy standard PB&J. You were an only child for many years. And that, you know, that shows in our lunch history. But what do we have at first glance, Amelia? It's Crust Labs. I, I wrote down... I wrote down my at first glance. Spy fiction. I hate it. Okay. Give me a fucking premise already, I'll, would All you? right, I'll skip ahead. I'll go right right to the premise. If you my... cannot possibly have more at first glance. I have three, I have three words that I was going to bring up, and they were spy shit, obviously. Here's the premise. The gang get caught up in the world of espionage and help a British spy stop a supervillain who is trying to put an end to breakfast. Now, can I just mention the way the gang gets caught up in this world of espionage? Because we see in the cold open this spy go through her adventure in the peanut butter and jam factory and gets... <laughs> Wasn't a factory, it, it was like an R&D company. It was a facility. You, you're much more accurate there. But anyway, she gets like blown out the window, falls off the building, and slams into the roof of the mystery machine. Mm-hmm. In motion, big indent in the roof. She should have died. The gang should have, have rifled through her things, and, you know, a la the Santa Claus, now Fred is the spy. Because because he rifled through the dead person's belongings. That's that's your problem, be cool, Scooby-Doo. Too fearful to kill off someone in the cold open. Or in general. Mr. Incorporated? 
Mm. <laughs> Nazi firing people squad. People dying left, right, and center in a there. A man died from a parrot, which I can only assume was slow and gruesome. Definitely something to do with the throat. A cop drove off a cliff, never saw him again. Good. But here, here where we're parodying the spy, the spy genre, can't even kill someone off in the cold open. So I guess we'll start on the Fred factor, and I have one note for him. Now, do you want to steer, or are you too old to sit on your pop's lap and drive? <laughs> yep, Fred does not relinquish the driver's seat in the mystery machine. He's got a spy with credentials, but he drives. Yeah, she probably has taken, like, courses in how to, like, stunt drive, even in big vehicles like this. But it's Fred's van, and he is highly possessive. Now, admittedly, I do think he wins back some of her respect when he starts activating the van's gadgets. If I was her, I would be questioning him more on, like, where he actually got these gadgets. Because he's going toe-to-toe with an actual spy vehicle at this point. So, what kind of government money does Fred have his hands on? And it kind of starts out like that. It'd be funny if it had happened the other way around. But their first interaction is her, like, slapping Fred and asking him who he works for. To which he replies, me, I'm self-employed! Fred's whole motivation in this episode is that he wants to save the world. Because the gang have helped out on smaller situations but they've never saved the world before. Amelia, what are your top ten times that the gang has saved the world? Oh, number ten! <laughs> just, just last series. Oh, the, well, that was less the world and more of the entirety of existence, I would say. Yeah, that this was This plane universe. of reality. No, but I wasn't, no, I wasn't doing the top ten. I was literally just saying, just last season, yeah. last series, you have saved the world, Freddy. I would also say uh, definitely Scooby-Doo won the live-action movie where demons were about to be unleashed upon the Earth. They, they did some saving there. I would say live-action movie, too, because all the monsters were alive. Those you don't were think, real monsters. Don't they could have overcame. spread out? I'll give you, and there, there was absolutely, I mean, maybe not the world, but they saved the president's life at one point, didn't they? Granted, that was Reagan, it so... Was Ra- it was maybe, the Reagan administration, maybe, so they shouldn't have... That's actually a minus one. They hurt the world by letting Reagan live. <laughs> I mean, I, I will say, uh, the Scooby gang are not regularly saving the world. Sure, we can mention, like, I think that was like five that we mentioned offhand. Uh, but this is uh, like episode 477 <laughs> that we're doing here, so... They, they do focus more on the small stakes, on... Uh, interpersonal relationships and and land deals. They focus a lot on real estate. So I, I do get Fred wanting to actually save the world. Is that just something that, like, people want to do? I couldn't think of anything more nightmarish than someone coming to me and being like, Amelia, you're the chosen one that has to save the world. Fuck off! I'm not <laughs> doing it! How How come just me? Why can't we all do our bit? The only way I should, the only way there should be one person responsible for saving the world is if it's like they're a billionaire and the way they can do it is by paying taxes. Yeah, I'm talking to you, all of our billionaire listeners. <laughs> In which Maybe case, pay your fucking taxes. But what? But, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about like being, you know, the one man who it all depends on. With my fists, I can save the world. And so, you know, that's, that's definitely an ego thing. 
You know, and this, this Fred does have a bit of an ego. He wants to have these accomplishments under his belt. But I, I would say he has, he has been living a very fulfilling life, doing lots of good out there. You, see, you save the world every day, Fred. That, 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 those small things? That is the world. And I want you to keep that in with the stumbles, because that's, that's part of the quote. <laughs> uh, and then my, my last note for Fred is that his watch does not tell the time. It is, an, it is instead uh, part of a tracker for a tracking device. And there's a joke in this episode where the person who gives them all their equipment loves when things are not what they appear to be. So I really would have wished that Fred put that tracking device on the guy, but it turned out it was not a tracking device. It was like a, a scratch and stiff snicker or something like that. Do you want to retry that? Snap and... Scratch and stiff snicker. <laughs> Get hard and laugh about it. Yeah, that's what it is. It's a little Viagra patch that you that's aerosolized, and it's really funny. I think, personally, uh, the joke of this is, wow, your watch. Why are you still wearing a watch? Because <laughs> it's 2018. <laughs> No one wears a watch. When was the Apple Watch? Was the Apple Watch a thing then, or is that like 2013? I don't know. Like, I'm... I'd, it's at the point right now where these years are just blending together. Watches peaked when they were made out of that weird, opaque plastic that came in, like, fun colors and yeah. also had a glow-in-the-dark oh, button. Oh, when, when you had a glow-in-the-dark button on your watch, for sure. That was, that was top-tier. Yeah. I would be wearing a watch today if I could hit that glow button. The Daphne dilemma. Also only one note for her. She's the one that gets to take over the cheesy spy puns after their actual spy is like, I don't know, shot in the head, something. What happens to her? She's kidnapped. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't really paying attention come the seven minute mark onwards, so... <laughs> so I, this, this is why I got the extra notes here. Because something I think you... Also, would... you seem to care... A lot more about talking about nothing is the thing. That's why you have more notes. I think these are things, and this one in particular. One time you just wrote down pants. I wanted to talk about those pants. They were important to the plot. <laughs> Daphne says she sees a plane, and she says, I've always wanted to fly one of those. She's always wanted to fly a plane. <laughs> Completely forgetting our previous episode, I think last season. When she flew a fucking plane! However, I will actually give it the credit. I'm pretty sure that was a knowing joke. Like, that was her saying it as if she never had, and everyone else is like, but Daphne, you, you did fly a plane. Because when she actually goes and flies the plane, because that's what happens next, we cut to inside the plane and she's the pilot, I believe she wore the same mustache to fly that she did in the last pilot episode. So that, that I will say is uh, just honestly, uh, it, it, <laughs> I, I was both annoyed and laughing with it. Oh, really? Because I didn't hear you laugh out, out loud. It also brings no, me... No, no, I want to talk about your blatant lies. I, well, because I'm, tr as I talked about it here, you're right, I didn't actually laugh out loud, but as I talk about it, it's, I thought about it, you didn't, ev you didn't even huff out your no nose. I do do that sometimes. And I did do that for a few things, but not for that. So you're just lying. I'm lying to everyone. Our <laughs> listeners, me, yourself. All for what? 
Because you know the writer's no, listening? No, no. <laughs> I don't. I don't know that. I also had a, had a nice little transition here from Daphne's mustache to Shaggy's. Because Shaggy has a mustache in that airplane. And boy, howdy. Shaggy with a mustache is cursed. Wasn't he dressed as a female flight attendant? I think he was dressed as a male flight attendant, and, and hence the mustache. But it, it was there. And it was prominent. It was a big push broom mustache. And I, I don't care for it. It also really reminded me that this version of Shaggy is a redhead. And I just still don't know when that began. I don't know when Shaggy's hair color changed. Even when we only had three available colors in 69, they still managed to make Shaggy not a redhead. So but what's your excuse? They, d- they decided that uh, personality-wise, he's more, he's more, more of that. But let, let's go back to the beginning of the episode. What do you have down for Shaggy? Doesn't know how PB&J sandwiches are made, so they have to go to an R&D development company. Yeah, both he and Scooby seem earnestly excited to learn how peanut butter and jelly sandwiches are made. And everyone else in that van is is just sad for them. Because everyone there knows. But they're, for some reason they're not telling them. Because later the spy tells Shaggy and Scooby how peanut butter and jelly sandwiches are made. And they're just like, oh! And they're fine. They're satisfied by that answer. Well, maybe the rest of the gang doesn't know and they just don't care. <laughs> that could also be true. I will say, another point of continuity, Shaggy and Scooby continue to be card-carrying members of the Cowards Guild. This is something from way back in the classic era of Scooby-Doo. I do think it had a different name. But it's just nice to see a fairly consistent thing crossing over of, like, an official cowards organization that they are part of. Mm -hmm. They pay dues, possibly. Much more important note, they try to shit on a bomb. They're at the spy place, Mm -hmm. and they go to what they assume is a bathroom, but is actually a bomb, because they come back exploded. Everything is something else. They they went and they tried to shit on the A-bomb. (laughs) <laughs> Possibly not an A-bomb. Possibly a slightly weaker bomb. Because they just kind of come back covered in soot. But, I mean, I don't know the long-term effects, but I'm not their physician. Now, I believe we were a little worried when we started out this episode. Because it's called Omelets Are Forever, and we thought that it might center around, you know, obviously it was going to be a spy parody, but we also thought it might have omelets at the center of the thing. And Shaggy and Scooby's preferred breakfast has time and time again been shown to be pancakes in Be Cool Scooby-Doo. This remains true here. They are still the most excited about pancakes, and they are worried about breakfast in general being cancelled. So don't worry. For all you pancake lovers out there who thought Shaggy and Scooby were going to abandon your cause, they're with you. In the Velma vision, I want to talk about the thing that annoyed me the most in this episode. When Velma... They find a restaurant in Istanbul because they're trying to track down where the spy was headed. The spy is named Jenny. And Velma says, this must be the place that Jenny was supposed to go first. And they look up and there is a sign above the restaurant that says, the place Jenny was supposed to go first. And that is just like an airplane level joke. Uh, it, It just, it, it doesn't seem right. And I think I would have been fine with it if Shaggy said that. Shaggy is at that level. I expect more from Velma. Are we trying to go for, like, a get smart 
thing because maybe, maybe maybe that as well you know what no that's unfair to get smart because that was clever and funny yeah but it's 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 that like airplane mel brooks it, it, it is an absurd joke it's just it's the fact that it's it abs- just does it doesn't mesh but it is it's atonal it's it's not on the same level as everything else uh velma ends up in heels again and has to hold up her dress to stomp around like she did in the wedding episode. Mm-hmm. But this isn't even a floor-length dress, so what's the point? And I'm going to say, I really liked her dress in this episode. I thought it was a nice adaptation of her usual outfit to formal wear. I guess, you know, they needed to keep her being upset with high heels for the continuity. I mean, again, a phrase, a little bit of continuity, but... You know, did didn't she, did she learn how to use high heels in that episode? She learned, I think, that confidence was the key, and yeah. then she started doing like backflips and shit. In I them. thought she at least embraced it. She learned, yeah. Oh well, she seems to have forgotten it here. Uh, heel toe, Velma, heel toe. She's also super excited about meeting some Japanese dude that has created a sound wave that makes chickens lay eggs faster. So I guess she's for animal cruelty. Yeah, that doesn't sound good, making the chickens lay their eggs faster. I feel like nature had a good idea about how long eggs should take. We've already fucked with that. Definitely. Hens at at farms lay, like, a dozen eggs each a day. I'm just upset at this world the more I hear about it. Like, they're already really fast, so hey, Dr. Izuki Himura, chill. Uh, You know, it, it is typical... For Velma to be excited to speak to a scientist, though. And of everyone that we actually see in this episode, that is the most scientisty scientist that we hear from. Now, on to the minor mansions. Jenny Vex, uh, the super spy that we see at the beginning. <laughs> super spy. Well, she's very imposing. Okay, let's talk about how in the opening fight scene with the rival spy, she thinks that fucking toast is a good enough weapon that she will stop running away from him to push down plungers on toasters, knock over a table so it's at the angle that it's gonna hit the guy with. Like, it's not fucking hot bread. How much much thrust do you get out of a toaster? Like, even, like, you know how in TV you'll get uh, the toaster popping up the toast and the toast, like, jumps up a bit and lands back down in the toaster? That doesn't happen. My my bread stays put. No, it's almost as if we've designed our technology to not be worthless. What good would a toaster be if it spit out your toast onto the floor when you weren't fucking looking? Like, there's, there's a fun idea to it, like, popping it out right in your hand as you turn around and yeah, butter it up. Yeah, but guess what? You're not running from a fucking spy that's trying to kill you. Exactly. And why didn't she have a gun? <laughs> of all the characters that you've criticized their... Lack of gunsmanship. I think saying that the actual government spy, Jenny Vex, should have had a gun is fair. I think that's a fair criticism. At the very least, a dart gun. You know, I I get it. Children's standards and practices. You don't want someone shooting in the face. Oh, yeah. But. Because Americans care so much about gun safety. they They care about censoring children's TV shows. She smashes into the roof of the van from a great height and is neither dead nor even injured. 
She should have at least been injured. Like, that should have been the reason that the gang had to take over, because she was extremely injured. The roof was was indented, where her body mass created yeah, I... enough force. And like, the joke should have been that it was the super dramatic fight from the second story window. That's how you make it funny and also write off that she's mm. not injured at all when she falls on top of the fucking van. That could work. And I, I'm also thinking of her actual role in this. She just, like, gets in the van, and then she's taken away right after that. There's no reason she couldn't. She should have been injured. For for realism's sake, she should have been violently injured. Go Last on. note for her is that her communicator with her boss is a little makeup mirror. Mm -hmm. Because why wouldn't it be? She's a woman, isn't she? The only thing she cares about is touching up her makeup. That's what's going to make her inconspicuous in a crowd. It's, it's... <sighs> so, Doctor Who. You know how he has a sonic screwdriver? They did a, a spin-off at one point with Sarah Jane Smith, uh, one of his former companions. And, and they gave her sonic lipstick. This feels much like that. Why would a woman not have a smartphone? Make the communicator look like a fucking phone! <laughs> a watch! Anything! Uh, this communicator helps her communicate with the big head of the agency. The big head. is what they call him. Because he has a large head. Normally, you're, you're the one who's pointing out jokes that we've, we've heard or seen in other shows that make their way into Be Cool, and you're like, ah, I really don't understand why that's here because it was done so much better somewhere else. Third Rock from the Sun had a recurring big giant head as their boss, who who they reported to, and it ended up being William Shatner, even, who does have a very large head. So I was, I, you know what, that's showing up in the stat count, because... <laughs> All right, but at the same time, you need to talk about how the communicator is makeup. And that's, I'm pretty sure, how the Totally Spies got in touch with Jerry. And the big head is no Jerry, so it's just Frank Welker. I was, it's Frank Welker it is Frank as the Welker. big head talking to Grey as Jenny Vex. Uh, and then later it's Frank Welker as the big giant head talking to Frank Welker as Fred. <laughs> Frank just had a little chat with himself today. Why go to all the trouble of making the spy a black woman and then just get, get Grey to voice her? Was Cree Summer unavailable? It, does Grey actually voice her? I'm. I didn't like check. Ninety percent the... sure. She does. She absolutely does. You Let's... can tell as soon as the character has to scream. I definitely knew that Grey voiced Bubby, because that absolutely sounded like Grey. Was Tress McNeil unavailable Tress... for the old? We lady? will always say this, listeners. Tress McNeil <laughs> should. Where is Tress McNeil? Is... Where is Cree Summers? Where Where is anyone but Grey? Is Tress McNeil still working? As she, as she retired, she's probably no one retires in animation. I'm sorry, I I, I had a moment there. She's still Dot in Animaniacs. True. Well done. Of course, she's still working. As we spoke of before, Doctor Izuki Himura. I'm now interested to see who played him. Okay, Andrew Kishino. We're at least not. Uh, we're at least that's at least not one of the core members of the cast. Um, he created a sound that induces chickens to produce eggs faster. And he wears the key to his lab around his neck. 
Oh, is that what that was? I thought that yeah. was like a pimp chain. Well, that I've written He's got here. The chickens working for him like bitches and hoes. Wears a giant key around his neck like Flava Flav wears a clock. And he is extremely easygoing. This doctor, he gets whipped around uh, by a supervillain. He's like, you know what? I signed up for this by being a scientist. I know there's danger. Quick side note, the doctor who did the nose transplant in Mysteries on the Orient Express, he Is apparently- dead? No, he apparently works for the spy organization. So we're getting, we're getting a little more explanation on what might have happened in that previous episode. He's working on some invisibility serum here. Uh, but our, our last minor mention of note worth mentioning is Dillingsley, the doctor who creates exploding turkeys and robots, and he's sort of like the Q of this universe. He cannot abide things that are actually the things that they appear to be. So how the fuck does he get anything done? Apparently, he is afforded a lot of liberties. And no one, and very little oversight, I no, will I'm say. I'm talking about like he goes home and he tries to do something in the kitchen. Yeah. But he can't find a spatula because he has no spatula that's actually a spatula. It's just a fucking bomb. I Well, I don't know if they're all bombs. I think maybe there are other things. Like he would pull out a bottle of Coke and that's the spatula because it unhinges in some way. You know, every, everything has its alternate thing and he would know what they are. But anyone who enters his house, would, if he gets burgled and the burglar wants to make themselves an omelet, it's not happening. Which brings us to the villain of this episode, Bane. And old lady. So they, they actually... Should we have learned names? No. Well, I, I, no, we shouldn't have. I do got them down here. No. They're, they're, Bane and old lady. The main villain. Minus. Bane. I call Bane, because it's just Bane, right? <laughs> it's just Bane from Batman. He's got tubes. He's got a luchador mask. He's very strong. Is uh, it a luchador mask? I thought he I was don't like, think it is. He was like just green for some reason, like spy upgrades and had this stupid Bane mask. Why did Bane have that in Batman Rises? Uh, was it, it like constantly giving him insulin or some shit? It was like, like a it was a pain regulator. In in The Dark Knight Rises, Bane was like in constant pain for things, and so it it was essentially constantly giving him I keep putting my hand up here trying to find the word. Opiates? But, yeah, opioids. It's the opioid <laughs> crisis. That movie covered a lot. <laughs> they call him Minus because whenever he shows up, someone gets subtracted. Boo! He's worth- Boo! I know. I know. I'm with you on this one. Not a, not a fan of the villains in this episode. Uh, Bane is actually a minion of the, uh, the evil overlord- uh, Orvalord? Orvalord, uh, Bubby, who, if you, if you think that sounds like what you'd call your grandma, yep. Yeah. Yeah, she's just a Jewish grandmother, It's a, yes. just an old lady, <laughs> uh, makes a nice meatloaf, uh, and she's stopping breakfast seemingly for spite. She says spite, and then later she comes back in and says that she actually has a better motive than that, but she never gets a chance to explain it. She's got sound waves. That will stop oranges from growing and maple syrup from flowing. And it's like, obviously she's got a vendetta against Canada because we've got 80% of the world's maple syrup here. Yeah. You're going to start a war. If it's revealed that a U.S. citizen stopped maple syrup production, we're coming down there and we're kicking your ass again. 
1812 style. 1812, bitches. You like that house? <laughs> you like that house where the president lives? Yeah. You liked the old one, too. <laughs> uh, can I also mention that Bubby's minions all wear purple argyle sweaters? It's a look. It's a good minion look. A little off the rack, but well done. Is it feasible? No. To get a bunch of purple argyle sweaters? To I... have a spy organization? <laughs> sound waves no. that stop maple syrup and oranges and chickens? No, this, epi- this episode, as I would you, say, is unfeasible. As if you never need eggs in any other recipe. As if her meatloaf recipe isn't going to stick together without a fucking egg in it. As if... These sound waves, which stop production of so many organic materials, are not going to have unintended consequences of stopping other organic... Like, who knows what else is going to happen? Maybe potatoes can't grow anymore. You want another potato famine? That's affecting dinner now. And the, the, like, maybe the world doesn't just give up breakfast because you stopped waffles from sprouting out of the ground, which is a joke in here. Yeah. Joke with uh, heavy quotation marks around it. Maybe the rest of the world just adopts the Asian style of breakfast. Savory breakfast. Mm. Rice. Soups. I don't know if I could have a soup for breakfast. I've seen you eat every conceivable food at every conceivable <laughs> time. You've, you've... Don't fucking tell me you won't eat a soup before noon. Is the villain scary? No. no. Zero. I don't... Tress McNeil? Would have made it a 10. Yeah. But... <laughs> yeah, this is just an old lady with some purple sweater boys. And Bane himself, like, I don't know, just all seemed too silly for me. Um, It's Bane! This It's Bane in a suit! Why not just bring in Blue Falcon again, honestly? If you're, if you're gonna go for this, you might as well just go as off the rails as Mystery Incorporated did that one episode. And bring in Frank Miller's Blue Falcon. I mean, it feels like everything that Mystery Incorporated was afforded, like they they did just sort of wall off Be Cool into its own silo. I'm going to say the car chase at the beginning of this episode. Car chases have the potential to be great. There have, you know, one of my earliest memories of us watching Scooby-Doo was absolutely loving a car chase across a bunch of rooftops. It peaked with Mystery Mask mix-up in 1969. So good! It's never been good since then. Yeah, this car chase, it just felt so absolutely flat. Like, like they didn't even take a turn. They just walked, they they drove straight down the street and then they stopped. Come on, give me a car chase! If this series wants to pat itself on the back so much for, like, it's genre-bending jokes, how being meta and shit, within the first three minutes of the episode, you should have put on the chase music and made that car chase this episode's chase, and then there could have been just Shaggy and Scooby looking at each other and being like, this is happening really early, isn't it? (laughs) There's your fucking joke, That is, I enjoyed that. Yeah, this one... Scooby-don't. I think it gets a Scooby-don't from me, too. Your, your Scooby-Don is, is quick off the draw. You're quick draw on those Scooby-Don'ts. Yep, I'll go one I, stronger. Scooby-Don't, absolutely. Yeah. The, I hate spy fiction. I hate be cool. Smash them together and two wrongs do not make a right. And this one, I just... It felt too silly in the wrong parts for me. 
I don't know. Didn't hit right. We've had we've had some episodes that have hit right lately. This one didn't. Into the don't pile you go. What's our next episode? Uh, the same storyline that they did in What's New? Haunted Mystery Machine or something? Ghost in the Mystery Machine? It's literally titled that? It's literally titled Ghost in the Mystery Machine? It's mean, it's green, it's the Mystery Machine. I mean, I really liked It's Mean, It's Green, It's a Mystery Machine. Yeah! When we watched it the first time in a different series, the joke's done. Maybe we'll get more what I liked. That's the hope. You've already gotten what you like. I have. It's done. Yeah, but I'm just hoping to like things. <laughs> Listeners, if you want to reach out to us, we can both be found on Twitter. I'm at the Billy Seaguire. Amelia is at Fatal Amelia. And we can both be found at Scooby underscore Dews. All our old episodes are streaming on our WordPress, Tumblr, and YouTube if you want to go back to a time when I didn't fucking hate everything. And you know what? If you want to hear Amelia actually really like things, watch her YouTube channel, Fatal Amelia. There are videos on there of good shit that she likes to prove the fact that I'm not just holding her hostage, making her talk about Scooby-Doo all the time. He is doing that, though. And on that note, that's it from Scooby Doobius. To Scooby Doobius! Please, as if you could hold me hostage. I physically couldn't. I think I have if, much more upper body strength. I, you could disarm me if I had a weapon. My thighs could crush your neck. And I would thank you for it. <laughs>